Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more. Visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He's written several books, mainly on past president's a really smart guy he's been uh, covering global events uh, on monday mornings on the bob harden show for at least the last decade we'll look forward to our discussion today we'll visit with larry reed the president emeritus of the foundation for economic education we'll be talking about a farmer for freedom a great story of a guy that served in the uh uh, administration, of, uh, actually, is an agriculture, agriculture secretary. And we'll visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a past former Barron's Washington Bureau chief and author of several books. His latest is Shake the Money Tree. It is June the 29th, and on this day in 1995, the American space shuttle Atlantis docked with the Russian space station Mir, to form the largest man-made satellite ever to orbit the Earth. This historic moment of cooperation between former rival space programs is also the 100th human space mission in American history. At the time, Daniel Golden, chief of the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, or NASA, called it the beginning of a new era of friendship and cooperation. Well, it didn't exactly work out that way, but nevertheless, with uh, millions of viewers watching on television, Atlantis blasted off from NASA's Kennedy Space Center, Eastern Florida, on June the 27th, 1995. Once the docking was completed, Gibson and Mir's commander, Vladimir Dushanov, Dushanov, I should say, greeted each other by clasping hands in a victorious celebration of the historic moment. A formal exchange of gifts followed with the Atlantis crew bringing chocolate, fruit, and flowers in the Mir cosmonauts, offering traditional Russian uh, welcoming gifts of bread and salt. My question is, where's the vodka? Anyhow, Atlantis remained docked with Mir for five days before returning to Earth, leaving two fresh Russian cosmonauts on the space station. The three veteran Mir crew members returned with the shuttle, including two Russians and Norman Thagard, a U.S. astronaut who rode a Russian rocket to the space station in mid-March 1995 and spent over 100 days in space, a U.S. endurance record. NASA's shuttle Mir program continued for 11 missions and was a crucial step towards the construction of the International Space Station, now in orbit. Amazing story. Uh, the cooperation, cooperation was uh, certainly in space, but it hasn't lasted uh, well into uh, politics, global politics recently. Well, 121 new cases of COVID-19 brings the total to 4,087 out of 33,000 tested here in Collier County, there's also been one death in Collier County yesterday. The death, to death toll now stands at 71, according to the state, uh, with 320 hospitalized. So for me, the key numbers, we continue to test. We've had a couple thousand tests over the weekend. The key number is deaths and also hospitalizations. Of those 320, there's no report on how many have been released, but I'm sure many, many have because this goes back to March. As of Sunday morning, Johns Hopkins University uh, data had long tracked the contagion listed 10 million 4,643 confirmed cases of coronavirus with 499,296 deaths worldwide. More than a quarter of the both counts came from the U.S., which as of Sunday had seen 2,510,000 confirmed cases and 125,000 deaths, a little more than that, uh, the data shows. At least 54,000 deaths in the U.S. are linked to nursing homes, about 43%. The U.S. recorded more than 42,000 cases Saturday, the data shows, lower than the record rate of 45,000 recorded on Friday, but the second straight day that there's been more than 40,000 cases. So the data reports only confirmed cases, and experts fear that the true figure is likely far higher, with many people unable to get tested or to carrying the bug without symptoms. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention said Thursday that as many as 10 times more Americans may be infected which would mean as many as 20 million 
Americans may have contracted the virus in the U.S. alone. My opinion is probably not 20 to 10 times, it's probably like 80 times people have not been tested, have the virus, asymptomatic, maybe had mild symptoms and have moved on. In this statistic from the Wall Street Journal, almost 80% of deaths linked to COVID-19 in Europe were people over 75, a staggering toll of the region's oldest citizens that is shaping public health policies. Authorities look ahead to the fall and winter. 80% of uh, deaths, COVID-19. Speaker Nancy Pelosi called for a nationwide mask mandate on Sunday. She went on to say that the only reason there's not a nationwide man, uh, mandate is not to offend President Trump. She's kind of goofy, isn't she? But the fact of the matter is, uh, masks don't do much, in my opinion. I think about 70% of the population will inevitably get the coronavirus, and who we need to watch for are those that have compromised immune systems. Some football uh, systems and uh, uh, programs, for example, in Florida, are thinking about discontinuing because of COVID-19 and some of the players getting it. I say just let it go, go right through the team. Because those those will be they'll probably have mild symptoms. If somebody gets really sick, they've got great medical care. But the point is, we need to get on with life. In my opinion, I realize I'm in a minority uh, position on that opinion, but nevertheless, let's move on. It's just uh, it's not as bad as it's bad. I mean, it's it's contagious, and we need to watch it. Everybody needs to watch it, but uh, we need to move on with life. Well, a district attorney in, in, attorney in Oklahoma hit several protesters with charges of assault, rioting, and terrorism in connection to a recent violent protest that took place in Oklahoma City. The Oklahoma City District Attorney, David Prater, said on Friday that he chose to pursue the toughest charges against the rioters because he does not support the lawlessness that's taken place in some parts of the country, including the police-free region of Seattle, known as Capitol Hill Occupied, or CHOP. Uh, uh, area. This is not Seattle, he told the Oklahoman. We're not putting up with this lawlessness here. Prater leveled strict charges against many of those who were arrested during the protest. And uh, there's whole stories here of, of uh, each of the people that were arrested. The point is this. He's making examples of them. He's giving them the most difficult and uh, severe charges that he can under the law. And I think this is basically how you approach the whole problem. If all mayors, attorneys general, uh, governors took this approach to this lawlessness, I think it would dry up in just in a hurry. Uh, David McKenzie, an attorney for Davis, uh, has called for the terrorism charges. He said unconstitutional. This is an attorney speaking for one of the people that was charged. He said that David punched a window but did not break it. He also claimed that Davis, whose father died in terrorist attacks until September 11, 2001, is a good person, not a terrorist. Well, you know, it's not based on what happened with his dad. It's based on what he did. It's his behavior. And this is what we're trying to affect and influence is letting people know that if they break the law, there are going to be severe consequences. Deshaya Dixon, she's 24 years of age. Adam Warner, he's 19. Daniel Ray Dickerson, 27. And James Lovell Holt were arrested on rioting charges for allegedly carrying out violent acts during protests. Many of those charged were caught on camera, including Holt, who was filmed throwing rocks at the Oklahoma National Memorial and Museum. Saxon Weber was uh, charged with assaulting an officer after he allegedly shoved an officer who was attempting to arrest another protester. Police reports from the scene claimed that Weber was armed with a pistol and wearing a bulletproof vest. Five others were charged with the incitement of a riot. Prater said those arrested were affiliated with Antifa or other far-left groups. So there you have it, folks. In my opinion, uh, this is the way to handle this situation. I think the guy in uh, Oklahoma City is doing the right job. Uh, protesters nationwide have been demonstrating against police brutality and racial injustice. I, I saw in one column suggested that there's a, a black couple who are laughing, married couple who are laughing because all these Black Lives Matter people were all white in the protest. <laughs> kind of funny. Anyhow, Democrats this week blocked the Republican written police reform bill, the Justice Act. President Trump responded to the disgrace by pointing out that Democrats have a crappy record when it comes to crime. 
You hear about certain places like Chicago and you hear about what's going on in Detroit and other cities, all Democrat-run. Every one of them is Democrat-run, Trump said. The 20 worst and the 20 most dangerous are Democrat-run. Well, Philip Bump of the Washington Post said that just isn't true. It's actually, well, when you do a fact check on it, it's 19 out of 20. Jacksonville, Florida ranks 17th. Trump is right when the mainstream media report is uh, not to is. The job of the mainstream media is to report and not to create news. I mean, listen to these headlines. At least 20 shots, seven fatally in 24-hour period in Democrat-run Chicago. Looting damage in 20 major U.S. cities exceeded $400 million in the first weekend of riots. Feds charged for an attempt to destroy Andrew Jackson's statue in New York's uh, in Washington, D.C.'s Lafayette Square. Two dead, four wounded in California shooting at Walmart Distribution Center. As murder rate in New York City skyrockets, police commissioner says system is falling apart. Trump's executive order to protect federal monuments cut state and local funding for noncompliance. These are just headlines that are taking up space in some of the media outlets. It's outrageous, really. So law and order is the, is the rule of the day, and we have need people like, well, Prater in Oklahoma City who is enforcing the law in the, in the strictest sense of the word. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of historycentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4100. 11 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org we'll see you at the show welcome back to the bob harden show and now here's your host bob harden thanks so much for joining us here on the show it's brought to you in part by golf shore playhouse bringing you professional 
And let me underscore professional New York-style theater at its very best, professional actors. And you can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Mark Schulman. He's an author. He's written several books on past presidents. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. I encourage you to visit it, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, let's just pick up on current world affairs and what's happening in Pakistan. Uh, right, so we, we don't have all the details at the moment, but there seems to have been a terrorist attack on the country's uh, stock market. And a number of people have been killed. It's not clear who's taking responsibility. A lot of, a lot of unknowns here. Um, the only thing we do know is that there was a terrorist attack. Three people were killed, according to what I've understood, and uh, four gunmen hmm. attacked it. So I, my guess is they're more dead than three or four gunmen. My guess is they killed more than three people. Right. But that, that, that information will come out slowly, and again, we don't know who it is. There are a lot of different possibilities in Pakistan. Yeah. So, and it's in Karachi. I mean, Pakistan has both been quiet and lawless at the same time, and there have been all these different issues relating to um, laws and rape and all sorts of things. So it's a it's a very difficult place at the moment. Yeah, well, you know what's been conspicuously absent has been the uh, jihadist uh, type of terror attacks around the world. Just haven't heard a lot about them, maybe because everything else is soaking up the news. But I understand there's a big clash in West Africa and al-Qaeda against the Islamic State. So um, maybe this stuff is starting to brew again. It could be. It's, it's so hard to know. You know, it's, it's so hard to break through. You know, every country is suffering from COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make a difference where it is in the world. It's, at this point, it's worldwide and it's everywhere. So it's almost hard to, to, to worry about the ideology relating to the differences between different groups within al-Qaeda and the Islamic State and everything else when you're worried about people dying. A great point. So yeah. It's, 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 you know, there's something about... Uh, an epidemic uh, that is very leveling. You know, it doesn't, yeah, doesn't care who you are. I mean, you're better you're better off being young and healthy than old and fragile. But other than that, it doesn't make a difference what your ethnicity is or your nationality or your beliefs or anything else. Are great point. So, so, so let's move to Afghanistan. Some charges of that Russians were funding uh, the Taliban against Americans. What Americans. are your thoughts? Seems to be the case. There's enough different sources that have confirmed at this point, both British and American. The Russians have put a um, a price. They they gave the Taliban X amount of dollars for every American they killed. This would be an attempt to a um, stir the pot, uh, decrease the chances of a peace agreement, which the Russians don't want. Um, and look, the Russians have been our enemy for quite some time now. As the as Putin has reemerged, the old Soviet Union, which is called Russia at this point. Their tactics seem, seem to be mischievous. They are not uh, out front and confronting in a direct way. They're usually working through well, the back door. Do, well, they can't do that directly because they don't have the power to do that directly. Mm -hmm. they, are, they, are, they leverage what they can leverage, which is their, um, their ability to do things quietly, let's put it that way, although except in Syria they've been quite open about it. Um, but generally speaking, they leverage it. And look, their, their biggest goal is to sow confusion, um, turn things into a mess like they clearly tried to do in the last election, and I'm sure they're doing again in this election. Right. Um, they they look to to stoke the fires of discontent in the United States and in other countries. Um, they're excellent manipulators of um, social media, and they use it tremendously to their advantage. You know, they found a, a low-cost way of leveraging hatred. Exactly. And been very effective at, at, at using it, and I don't think we fully understand it. And of course, I certainly don't think Facebook has um, done what they need to do to stop it. No, they certainly haven't. Before we move to the uh, world, the pandemic here, I would like to get your thoughts on what's happening on the India-China uh, border, and and that uh, it's it's uh, a dust up there. Yeah, look, this has been a dispute that's been going on for. Uh, 40 years now. They, they went to war in the 1960s. This time they, they killed each other with, with their bare hands and with uh, sticks and stones, basically, because they didn't use any guns. Um, uh, you know, it's so, it's so interesting how we can 
get so angry about things that are so unimportant, really. Mm-hmm. The border should go right over here, it should go right over there. Does it really make a difference to Chinese or Indian pride if we lost 50 feet of a border or whatever it amounts to? Yeah. I, I don't understand it, to be honest with you, why one would kill over something like that. Well, it's kind of symptomatic of a. It's kind of symptomatic of Chinese aggression around the world, isn't it? I mean, that's that's the concern. Yeah, but, here. China, but China tries to. Okay, but remember what China tries to do. China tries to expand quietly. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't want to get into any sort of fighting wars with anybody. It tries to expand their influence, usually using money, and using investments, and using trade practices, and that's how they mostly try to operate. They try not to operate with military means. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're certainly not interested in getting into a shooting war with India. I mean, obviously the Chinese could probably win it, but, you know, winning a war with India is not exactly an easy thing, and it you know, reminds me of, of the Germans attacking the Soviet Union. It's a, it's a big place, India. It is a big a place with people. a lot of people. It's a it's an amazing place. So uh, I do want to talk to you about COVID world update, and we want to talk about that and what's happening in the United States a little bit. If we have time about the Polish and French elections, can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. A great programs. One of them policies and programs to help people get off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McDagg. He wrote uh, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman. Again, uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Just one, one little thing before we go on. I just saw a notification came across my screen that the COVID-19 drug Remdesivir is going to be priced at $3,120 for, per dose that they give to patients. Good night. Really? Yep. Hasn't been yep. confirmed as being uh, effective? It's effective in decreasing the length of time that it takes to recover. It's not a cure, and it does not stop, it doesn't decrease the people who actually die, but it does make it pass quicker for those people who have it. Yeah, what about the uh, the uh, chloroquine, I've forgotten the exact name, there's too many... That's, si- that's been proven to be completely 
um, useless at this point. No, no gain whatsoever according to all the studies that were done. Mm, so interesting. This is the only, this is the only, this is the only drug that is so far proven to have to be effective in treatment. So when will it be available? Do you? It, I'm sure it is available now. This is available. This is this is being used today um, in hospitals. There's not enough supply, but it is being used today. So again, it does not decrease the mortality, but what it does do is it decreases how severe it is for people who are not who are not going to die and lets them recover quicker. $3,200 a dose. How many doses do you need to recover? Don't that I have no idea. Wow. Interesting. Well, let's something let, is wrong. Yeah, so, definitely something is wrong. So let's talk about what's happening around the world. Of course, we've been focused here in the United States and what's happening right here in Collier County. But uh, uh, what are your thoughts on COVID-19 and the pandemic? Okay, so right now we have, we have basically a tale of two worlds. We have uh, Western Europe and Central Europe where the numbers are way, way down. The curve is way down to, I believe today there were less uh, new patients in all of Europe than there were in Florida. So the numbers are way, way down in Europe. Um, the same cannot be said for Russia, which still has very high numbers. Mm-hmm. It cannot be said for, of course, India. All of South America has become a, a very much of a red zone. It's beginning to spread in Africa while it's still very, very low in Asia. The place with the lowest numbers, by the way, is Hong Kong, believe it or not, who had only one death. Uh, And here's a country that was closely tied to China and everything else. Some people are um, connected to the fact that 99% of of people in Hong Kong wear masks going to work every day. Hmm. So that's an interesting statistic. Of course, New Zealand has almost no cases. Australia just have a couple. And, of course, China's had a, a few cases now, but they've not gone to massive testing. They've already tested, I think, a third of the population of Peking in the last 48 hours. Hmm. So they're well organized to, to do the testing and to control to control things. So um, there's a high correlation between the level of testing, of course, and the pos- those that are tested positive. So, uh, of course, we don't know that. Well, yeah, but the, there's also a high level. Look, I understand what the real key here is. The key is not the testing. It's the ability to isolate those that are proven um, to be positive. And that's really the key. You, know, you want to test not just not for statistical purposes. You want to test to find out who has it and then test their immediate surroundings, the people who they may have given it to, so that you can identify people and put them into quarantine. So let me, let me ask you a pointed question here, Mark. Uh, I just read in the Wall Street Journal, 80% of people who contract, who die, uh, in Europe from uh, coronavirus have died that over the age of 75. So it's, uh, you know, this is really targeted towards those that have compromised immune systems and so forth. Well, it's, it, it's true. Um, it's, it's a lower number in the United States, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, 43%, 43% of the people who've died from coronavirus are in nurse, have been or associated right. with nursing Correct. homes. Correct. Right. But the, the, there was a fairly significant number of people who are younger that have died in the United States. Uh, clearly, look, clearly your health going into getting COVID-19 is a determinant to a very large degree of your outcome. Right. It's like any disease. If you're, if you're feeble or sick, you're more likely to succumb to it. That's a very, you know, uh, that's a very known fact. Now, one of the other things that is very problematic is the fact that it seems to leave people, even people who've gotten better, um, are not totally better. And it's taken them months, in some cases, to recover, and some haven't recovered at all. I was just speaking to my ex last night, who's a public health doctor in the New York area, and she was telling me of a friend of hers whose husband had it, Mm -hmm. got well, Mm -hmm. and now has it again. I've heard of an individual so, who lost uh, taste and smell, uh, recovered, but lost uh, taste and smell. So, right, I have, a, I have a friend who I have a friend in New York, same exact situation, lost taste and smell, has not gotten it back yet. She had it, I would guess, two months ago, and she still hasn't gotten her taste and smell back. So, uh, look, I don't want to be cavalier about this because I think it's important. This thing is extremely contagious. We all need to watch our health. But one of the things that's happening, for example, is we're seeing football programs, University of Florida, professional basketball teams oh somebody got COVID-19 so they're going to shut down the program I'm exaggerating but they're going to isolate for 14 days in quarantine my thought is this these people are are strong healthy people the best thing that can happen to the the problem the the best thing that can happen to the team is everybody gets it and then move on no but no but everyone gets it and the people all around them get it 
and their parents get it, or their grandparents, or someone else gets it, or the guy in the store gets it. That's why you have to isolate. It's not, it's not because a subset gets it of young people. First of all, some young people actually get really sick, and, uh, and some have died. But that's not the issue. The issue is you cannot isolate these people from the rest of society. Yes, so what, they, but we're isolating the wrong people, though. We, I should isolate those that have compromised immune systems, older you folks. Can't isolate, but but you, you can't put everyone else into it. You, you can't put everyone over the, over the age of 65 into, into permanent isolation until this all passes for a year. It just doesn't work. No, you can't, and, it, and you can't, but they can. Individuals can't. they can't ultimately. They, 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 they can't ultimately. They, have to, they still have to go to the doctor. They have to go to the store sometimes. No one's, no one's providing for them, providing... Uh, you know, delivery of all their foods and everything else. It just doesn't work that way. It does work that way, Mark. It's, if you, it does work that way in communities. People are, are surrounded by people who care about them. I mean, you solve problems individually. You can't have some sort of a national mandate on this stuff. That's what's not working right now. Yeah, well, I hate to say it, but part of the issue is that we turn it into a political issue, which makes no sense. Well, I don't mean it to be the a political issue. issue. The fact that... that, that, that uh, that face covering, that a mask is a political issue, is absurd. Uh, that you speak to any public health person, they say that if two people are wearing a mask, in other words, the person who might have it and the person who might get it, the chance of tr- of transmission is decreased by eighty five percent. Where did That's that number come from? you need to kill from? the virus. I don't know where that number comes from. I mean, that, that that seems absurd to me. Why? Well, because if, uh, if you're wearing a mask, you can It's very difficult if you're covering your face. You cannot spread the, the germs very easily. Look, I saw a guy. I, I saw a guy. <laughs> this, is, this is unbelievable. A guy who had a mask on, and he took it out. He lifted it and sneezed. <laughs> okay, well, that's not the way you're supposed to wear the mask, obviously. That's just stupid. <laughs> that's not, yeah, I mean, that's just stupid. Let's, let's not make, say that for the policy reasons. Well, that's what happens. Uh, people scratch their face. They do, you know, uh, I, I just don't. I don't buy into the 85%. It may be reduced substantially, but not 85%. I just don't believe that. All, all, you do, all you need to do, look, understand something about this virus. All you need to do is get what's called the R, which is the number of people that one person infects to under one. Mm-hmm. And then the virus dies eventually. Mm-hmm. In other words, the whole game is that if you get the virus, if you infect less than one additional person, then the virus will die. If you infect more than one additional person, even just 1.2 people, obviously it's a statistical number, then the virus keeps on growing. Mm-hmm. And the whole goal of, of prevention is to make the, is to turn that R into uh, into something under under one. So let me give you another theory. Seventy percent of the population is going to get it, and you can have shutdowns and so forth. It's just going to delay the fact that it occurs. Of the seventy percent, about. 2.25% are going to die. About 50% of those are going to be over the age of 75. So, I mean, those are statistics that probably match up with car accidents and all kinds of things. I'm just suggesting that uh, this is an overreaction, and we should live with uh, the coronavirus and continue on with our lives. Couldn't disagree more. Yeah, you I know. Can, you can just live with it. I think, look, look, look at what happened to New York. And that uh, well, I mean, he, what he did in New York is he actually put people who are positive, uh, coronavirus tested positive for coronavirus, and put them in nursing homes. My God, that is like uh, putting a bomb in there. That's true. That was a mistake. But let's see what happens in Florida. I mean, you people have, uh, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah, to say the least. You have you have a pretty bad situation right now, from what I can tell. Well, I think um, I think uh, from what I can tell, things seems to be working out fine. I'm very happy with our governor and the decisions that he's made right now up to this point. I think the the strategy of finding hot spots and dealing with them, getting make resources there, making sure that, the, uh, that it's contained, I think that's better than some sort of a statewide mandate on masks and those and that type of thing. Okay, well, let's hope you're right and I'm wrong. What can I tell you? Yeah, <laughs> but Mark, as usual. Always a very. No, now, we didn't get to talk about the Civil War again. You know, I'm the historian. I want to talk about things in history. So <laughs> next week we're talking about the Civil War unless something else blows up in the world. How's okay, that? Mark. You listen, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary. Always well informed, always very helpful. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. You Bye-bye. as well. Thank you. All right, coming up. Uh,
so two different uh, points of view. I hope you uh, appreciate it, and uh, you probably decide that, hey, Bob, I don't think you're right, or uh, Mark seems to have it all uh, understood, whatever. The important thing is perhaps you're better informed as a result. I certainly hope so. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, St. Matthew's House reminds me of a Bee's Diner located in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We're going to go there for breakfast to meet Andy Joppa there this morning and have a great discussion. And they're a great place to go, again, uh, Bee's Diner. And when you go this week, if you, if you uh, wear something purple, uh, so you get 20% off your bill, I believe it is. Uh, I'm probably misstating, but irrespective, uh, located in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's the author of uh, several books. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. As I mentioned before the break, he is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education and the good work you do. Okay. Uh, listeners can learn a lot more about us by visiting our website at fee.org, and there they will see regular daily new content added on uh, issues from what's in the news today to history to, uh, well, you name the issue, we usually cover it. And our focus is on high school and college students. Uh, we seek to educate and inspire them in ideas of liberty and private property, free enterprise, and personal character. Uh, fee.org, F-E-E.org is the website. I've been to conferences for the Foundation for Economic Education. The excitement and energy is palpable. You see these young people who are supporting freedom and supporting the rule of law and so forth. It's just really exciting and encouraging, I must say. So uh, if you can get somebody young in your family in those ages involved in the Foundation for Economic Education, I think you'll be very pleased. Larry, you wrote a great column, A Farmer for Freedom, Ezra Taft Benson. He has real ties to the foundation. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yes, I wish I had met Ezra Taft Benson, uh, but I didn't. He did serve on the board of the Foundation for Economic Education from 1974 to 1986. He was born on a farm in Whitney, Idaho in 1899 and raised by parents in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, the Mormon Church. In fact, he actually, at the age of 12, when his father went off uh, for some missionary service in the Midwest, 
he act, actually managed the family farm uh, for two years at that early age. Um, later, as he uh, grew older and wiser about uh, federal policy, he became quite a critic of Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal agricultural policies, which mm. was uh, subsidizing and, uh, and destroying crops and that kind of thing, imposing price controls. And then uh, during World War II and afterwards, he played a key role in the LDS Church's relief efforts in devastated Europe. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's, a, that's the backdrop to his involvement in uh, national affairs, which really took off after Eisenhower was elected president in 1952. Uh, Ike chose him as his Secretary of Agriculture. Yeah, and uh, he was instrumental and helpful in, in distributing food to uh, you know, devastated areas in Europe after the Second World War. Yes, he was, uh, in Germany and Poland in particular, and that's when, uh, on those front lines of oppression, uh, he developed a passion against uh, socialism and communism, uh, which would be uh, uh, something that occupied his political and economic thoughts for the rest of his life, and actually drew him eventually to fee and our founder, Leonard Reed. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. He supported Howard Taft in the, uh, in the election, I guess it was 52, against uh, President Eisenhower. That would be a bad political move, but he actually got chosen as the uh, Agriculture Secretary. Yes, that was Robert Taft, uh, oh, by Robert the way. Robert Taft, excuse me. Uh, and then, uh, but he always uh, was a genteel civil uh, man, so Eisenhower didn't hold anything against him because he supported an opponent in the primaries. And in fact, uh, Benson would go on to be the only member of the Eisenhower cabinet to serve in that post for the entirety of Eisenhower's eight years as president. Yeah, so he served on the board of the Foundation for Economic Education for quite a while. And what kind of an impact do you think he made? How can you help us understand that? Well, he carried considerable moral authority because of his example. He was uh, not only a former ag secretary at that point, but more importantly to the uh, people who served on the fee board. He was a man who uh, had solid convictions, and uh, he could express them in very persuasive ways. And uh, this is a big reason that uh, why, uh, near the end of his time on the fee board, he was then chosen for the pinnacle of his career, and that is uh, to be the leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. And uh, that was November of 85, and he served there for nine years. Uh, an amazing man. And uh, you had you end the column that you've written. By the way, you'll find this at fee.org uh, on the website. But uh, maybe you could share with us some of the quotes that you've selected that, that kind of defines him as a man and his character. Yes, uh, he very strongly believed in personal character and that each person had to make some tough choices in life and that those choices would define you and, and define your character. He said that, uh, quote, some of the greatest battles you will face will be fought within the silent chambers of your own soul. Mm, so true. And, yep. and then he said the way to feel better about your own situation is to improve someone else's circumstances. Uh, which is so true. Absolutely. If you have uh, an ounce of conscience when you take a step to help another, it's actually a very self-satisfying thing, too, to know that you've made a difference. But what he had to say about uh, the role of government, I think, is uh, most dramatic. He said to an audience once, I don't know how you feel, my brethren uh, and sisters, but I'd rather be dead than to lose my liberty. I have no fear we'll ever lose it because of invasion from the outside but I do fear that it may slip away from us because of our own indifference, our own negligence as citizens of this land. And so I plead with you this morning that you take an active interest in matters pertaining to the future of this country. And, of course, he certainly did. Well, you know what? That is so true today. I hope that all of us can wake up and pay attention to what's happening in this, uh, I'm going to call it almost civil war, or cultural war that's going on right now. So much unrest, so much lawlessness. And, uh, boy, he's speaking to all of us right there. Absolutely. And one of my favorite quotes of his, a uh, very short one about government, he said, man is superior to government and should remain master over it, not the other way around. Unbelievable. Great, great story, Larry. Again, uh, the title of the column is uh, 
a farmer for freedom, Ezra Taft Benson. I encourage you to take a look at it at fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with... um, Jim McTagg. Jim is the uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of books. One is a sequel of the other. The first is uh, Follow the Leader, and his latest is Shake the Money Tree. These books, I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, so they really ring home because he talks about a lot of the things that are happening right there in Washington, D.C., but they are, of course, uh, murder mysteries, and it's just fascinating and great reading, so I encourage you to get a copy. We're going to visit with Jim. He's also the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, so we're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get season tickets now by going to the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg. Uh, he's the author of a couple of books. His latest is Shake the Money Tree. Great read. Great murder mystery. Uh, he's also the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, so he knows what's going on in Washington, D.C. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure, uh, Bob. Yeah. You know, you're living right there in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, we all have our local experience of what's happening with COVID-19 and uh, what's happening in society. But uh, what are your observations? Well, I mean, I, we're all, as, as Americans, we, we all share in a, a form of suffering in that uh, we've lost our former uh, mobility, our mm-hmm. freedom to uh, move as uh, anywhere we want to go across the globe because of the virus. And it's, it's beyond the fear of getting on an airplane and perhaps catching the virus. Uh, the Europe is closed. I mean, I mean, the European countries' borders are closed, still closed with one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can't fly to Europe. Uh, you can't fly. It, it, it's really hard to fly anywhere in the U.S., uh, especially if you're older. So you miss your grandchildren in far-flung places. Uh, you miss uh, getting together with family. And I think it takes a psychological toll on people because you, you suddenly feel like you're a goldfish inside a bowl looking out at the world. So, uh, and I'm, I'm now, it, that has got me thinking this morning that, uh, you know, in our day-to-day lives, 
we've seen adjustments to COVID. You know, so for example, companies are allowing their employees to work from home using existing technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we have meetings, like I have a home ownership association meeting, we're on Zoom, Mm -hmm. which is a pre-existing technology. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, we're, we're using it, but we haven't seen any real innovation yet. Mm. And I think the, the reason is we've been over-optimistic about the course of the disease. You know, everyone is assuming a 12-month cycle for this disease, and, and uh, suddenly that vision is being shattered when we see, uh, you know, an upsurge in cases in Florida and Texas. You know, it's a, it's a disease that just won't go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, it's probably a two-year cycle at a minimum, hmm. at which point we will see innovation. We will see people creating products or creating processes and services that will restore some of the um, face-to-face, well, it won't, maybe not face-to-face contact, but it, it will allow us more freedom uh, to wander and interact with people. Now, now, what that, what form these innovations will take, I just don't know yet. Yeah. It could be, could be a magical mask, who knows? But um, I, I think that, uh, you know, a vaccine by Christmas is wishful thinking. Uh, I'm looking ahead to 2022 is probably... Yeah. Uh, the year when we get back to fairly normal, but uh, we'll never get back to completely normal again. One thought I have about vaccines, I really applaud the president for pulling together resources and having companies working together and with the idea of, uh, and, and getting the FDA or, the, you know, get, getting organizations kind of lined up to say, hey, we're in a pandemic here where this is critical. Let's, let's get this thing done. Now, to your point, we may not ever have a vaccine for this. I mean, it, it's uh, it's hopeful that we will, but I'll just remind our listeners that we never got a vaccine for AIDS, and that's a virus. So, you know, the question is, will we get get one for this situation? I hope so. Uh, I will say parenthetically that if we do develop one, I'm, I'm really reluctant to take it. But that said, <laughs> I think it's important to a lot of people. Yeah, you know, but to your point about uh, the the, the moonshot really to develop a, a vaccine in this country, uh, one of the reasons it's accelerated is that they tore down barriers, they tore down a lot of red tape, mm-hmm. a lot of rules that, that would inhibit, would slow down the production of a vaccine. Um, uh, may I, I, may I insert it. may I insert there, Jim? I, I would say this too. These are the types of things that we've done that I think we should make permanent. You know, we've done this under, under a situation where these, you know, getting things through uh, the FDA and so forth. It's kind of been like walking through saltwater taffy. Now that we're clearing the way, we're getting rid of regulations that stand in the way. Shouldn't we just get rid of them for good? Well. Uh, rationally get rid of some of them. I, I, I mean, in the past, we've had cases that back in the 50s, we had a case where a bad batch of polio vaccine got out into the public mm-hmm. uh, due to lax oversight. And I forget how many kids it killed, but it killed thousands of children. Yeah. So, so you don't want to take the brakes off. But to your point, there's too much red tape. It's, it's, it's silly. It just creates jobs for uh, bureaucrats. And uh, when I'm talking about innovation, I think that local officials should should look at what's happening around them and and consider doing away with a lot of the regulations that inhibit the formation of small business, uh, especially in this time of a plague. You know, so if a if a guy comes up with a uh, unique plan for uh, cutting hair that that doesn't take place in a barber shop that's safer or you know, you know, maybe a barber truck or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the city should really uh, make it easy for someone with a brilliant idea, not a you know, not a crackpot idea, to uh, launch that business. Uh, I couldn't agree more. That's been in, in Florida here. We're kind of gummed up with uh, regulations. And, we, and the governor, when he first took office, he had a regathon where he asked each of the heads of all departments to come up with uh, regulations that we can eliminate now. And uh, that was it. that's been effective. And I know that uh, the uh, legislature has been uh, focused on it. But, you know, if a young kid 
12 years old, said, you know, cuts his dad hair, dad's hair, and his dad says, hey, you did a pretty good job on that. Why don't you cut Uncle Joe's hair? And all of a sudden, he could become a barber. You know what I'm saying? In other words, yeah. but, but what happened in Orlando, Florida, a couple of years ago, they had a raid on a barber shop and arrested probably pretty good barbers for not being properly licensed to do the job. And so, to your point, if we could get rid of regulations that get in the way of people making a living and uh, being productive, we should get rid of the regulations. Uh, uh, for my template, by the way, I'm looking at the, the Great Plague of London, which occurred 1665 to 1666. Yeah. It was the last big outbreak of the bubonic plague. Yeah. And it killed about, you know, they estimate it killed 25% of London's population. Yeah. In those days, by the way, the royalty left town. They went out to, and they stayed away for about two years. But at the tail end of that, they had a giant fire in London that burned down the entire center of the city, which had been standing since medieval times. Uh And it led to all kinds of innovation. Uh, For example, you couldn't build houses out of wood anymore in London. You had to use stone or brick. Mm -hmm. And they widened the streets, you know, so that in case there was a fire, it wouldn't spread as easily. So, uh, you know, my... My point is we're not really that different than the people in medieval London. We, we know more. We have uh, advanced technology. So uh, let's start, you know, let's really focus on the innovation. And, and to sound like a broken record, it starts at home. It starts with local officials. Uh, get rid of the silly protectionist red tape. Well, I'll say this. I mean, in a catastrophe or any kind of emergency, there's always an opportunity. And uh, it could be that, uh, again, a young person, anybody could see an idea that say, hey, this could be really helpful. It could reduce the cost for it, it can imp- increase the convenience of, and you fill in the blank. They come up with this idea. And I think your point is, let's make sure that once the idea is formed, let's l- let it be implemented without get- having things get in the way. Yeah, and also uh, give people an incentive for uh, sitting down and and, uh, dreaming up ideas and committing capital, because every new idea uh, depends on a commitment of capital. And one of the reasons we haven't one of the reasons we haven't seen innovation now is wishful thinking. Everybody hopes that this uh, virus will disappear in about a year. Uh, It is, and I think when people realize it's going to be around uh, longer than they thought. Uh, they'll put on their thinking caps, but 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 again, sounding like a broken record. You don't want to commit capital if if government red tape is going to prevent you from getting a return, or it's going to stop you in your tracks. Uh, yeah, yeah, unless yeah. unless you want to be something like a bootlegger. So so. Uh, I just see no movement uh, by local officials to address this problem. Yeah. They're kind of, uh, you know, it's beyond them at this point. That's a great point. It just, uh, this discussion, it's, it's, uh, reminds me of the kid that's selling lemonade in his front yard and <laughs> officials come by and shut him down because he doesn't have a proper licensing. I mean, you know, you're making a great point. And it's just so important that uh, if we protect, well, first of all, we have to protect intellectual property. We have to protect property rights. We have to protect uh, innovation uh, and uh, patents, for example, which is really under threat right now under under law here in the United States. We need to protect that. And then, we, of course, this, this situation creates an incentive for people to go out and create and innovate in order to make money. Yeah, and, and again, capital wants to be flourish and and uh, so let's let it flourish yeah and and here's the interesting thing too capital has never been less expensive than it is right now and there's an abundance of it in the banks i mean they're ready banks are ready to lend if you have a good idea yes yes that's uh absolutely true so so the point being that uh, you know everybody's focused on uh, who will be the best president but uh who will be the, the next town council leader or who will be the next city mayor I think is equally important to the uh, economic health of the United States. Yeah. All politics is local, right? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Again, Jim McTagg, and I just want to encourage you, these two books are, he, he, Jim, by the way, has written other books on uh, investment and finance, but uh, the books are his Murder Mysteries, Follow the Leader, and the sequel is Shake the Money Tree. They are terrific reads, and I encourage you to get a copy. McTag, Jim McTag is spelled M C T A G U E. Jim, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
I'm honored to be a guest. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, too, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot, had fun. I hope you'll join us uh, tomorrow. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Kathleen Pasadomo is our state uh, senator. She'll be with us as well. I'm sure we'll be talking about the pandemic and what's going on. And Boo Mortensen. Boo is uh, up in Madison, Wisconsin. It'll be interesting to hear what she has to say. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>